fella moved in to the community, decided to take a walk, started down the street, enjoying the day. We noticed a neighbor struggling with a washing machine that uh, was trying to get into his house and wasn't fitting through the door very well. And so he went, went over and said, can I help you? And the man said, sure. So they both grabbed a hold of it. And they struggled and struggled, could not seem to make any headway. Finally, they both just kind of let go of the thing and, and stepped back and trying to figure out what to do. And the, the man who was new at the community said, well, to tell you, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to get that washing machine in there. To which his neighbor replied, Ian, I was trying to get it out. That's kind of fine. That's kind of where we find Jonah this week in his mind. He's going one way. God's going the other. That's kind of been Jonah's story from the start. God said, go to Nineveh. He went the other way. God had to catch him out there on the sea, give him a special ride back. He finally gets the message, goes and preaches in Nineveh. A great many people repent, but Jonah's not happy. God's done one thing. Jonah wanted to do something different. We are each one, I think, familiar with that position, if you think about it. There's been a, a great number of times in your life and mine, no doubt, that we've been going in one direction, hoping for one thing, pursuing one way, and God's got something else in mind. Seems he's doing just the opposite. Oftentimes we find ourselves in a position of resisting God and asserting our own selfish desires. And when that washing machine won't budge, well, we get angry. We get upset. Whether we admit it or not, or want to admit it or not, we all get angry at God. We all get frustrated at what God's doing or not doing. Now, whenever you get angry at God, you can mark it down. It's unjustified anger. Because we're the ones who's moving in the wrong direction. All unjustified anger is ultimately directed at God. Let's, let's say you get angry at someone in your life who's not helping you, being some sort of a problem, doesn't see things eye to eye with you, and you get angry at that person. A natural reaction. But then again, Unless they've really, really, you know, purposely offended you or hurt you in some way. It's just, it's just somebody that's just, just not, you know, willing to go along with you in what you're doing. And you get angry. That's unjustified anger. But it's ultimately directed at God because God put that person in your life. Maybe it's an authority figure. 
Maybe it's your boss. You see, all unjustified anger is a, a matter that involves uh, a, an unwillingness to accept your circumstances. And yet God is a sovereign God. He's all-powerful. And it's ultimately anger at him because he could have uh, he could have paved the way. He could have smoothed the path. He could have shielded us from some disappointment. Or he could have done something for us we desired, and he didn't. Now, you know, being angry at God is one of those things that we in Christian circles just don't talk very much about because we're not supposed to get angry. I've had people tell me, I never get angry at God. I've had people say, oh, I never question God. I don't know. I don't know if I should stand in judgment of them, but I kind of wonder about those statements. Well, I used to think things like that too. I was a young Christian. <laughs> but life kind of works out different than you expect sometimes, and it's a hard lesson. To learn, and it's easy to get angry at God. Julie Exline is a psychologist and a researcher associated with Case Western Reserve University, at least she was. <clears throat> she has done a number of scientific investigations or studies on this matter of people becoming angry at God. And she has revealed that According to her study, 62% of people, at least occasionally, admittedly, become angry at God. And I'm just wondering how she missed the other 38%. Because I think that's a 100% figure. My chief researcher asked me a question last night. She helps me with my illustrations, finding just the ones I need. She ran across this and asked me this question, you know, see if I knew. She said, who was the first person in the Bible to get angry at God? And I had to stop and really put some thought into that. About two or three minutes later, I said, was it Cain? She said, yes. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 5, God had accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he had not accepted Cain's sacrifice. And in verse 5 of chapter 4, it says Cain was angry. Very angry, and his countenance fell. Of course, we know what happened. Cain ended up lashing out at Abel and killed his brother. That's kind of how we... As human beings express anger at God sometimes and lashing out at somebody else because we can't get at God. Think about that for a minute. From the very, very beginning, the very first family who inhabit this earth, men have been getting angry with God unjustifiably. And that's what Jonah is dealing with in chapter four. And all that he experienced here that we're going to see this morning and what he learned is well it's instructive for us because we all need 
to understand how to resolve unjustified anger. And the message of Jonah 4 is very clear. We should not let unjustified anger control us. We can't necessarily prevent it because we're sinners by nature, but when we're aware of it, we can resolve it. Now, there are three steps, I believe, that you can identify here in chapter 4 of Jonah to make sure that, well, when we are angry and unjustifiably so, we can resolve that problem. And step number one is simply this. You have to acknowledge why you're angry. There are, there are reasons for it. You need to acknowledge those reasons. Because, and it's not a pretty picture. Verse one says, and it displeased Jonah. Well, what displeased Jonah? Well, just what we read in the previous chapter. He did what God finally, uh, what God wanted him to do. He finally did that. He goes to Nineveh and he says, you know, guys repent or in 40 days God's going to destroy you all. And of course, they repented. One of the greatest revivals in recorded history. Over a hundred thousand, no doubt. Now, you would think an evangelist would have been on the mountaintop after that experience. You think he'd been writing to tell all of his, uh, you know, donors about the great success of the ministry. No, Jonah's not happy at all. He's displeased that these wicked Ninevites have repented. Interestingly enough, in about 40 years from verse 1, chronologically, the Ninevites conquered the northern ten tribes of Israel and led them into captivity. So it was a temporary revival and affected individuals at this moment in history, but the nation as a whole, over time, was not overly impacted for anything good. So it's kind of understandable. Jonah didn't know that was going to happen, but Jonah knew how wicked they were as a culture. And how violent and sadistic they were when they conquered someone. You know what the Assyrians did? And this is what they did in northern Israel. They came in and they, they conquered militarily. Then they took a big chunk of the population and they just rounded them up and they removed them. And sent them elsewhere. Spread them out over other populated areas that had been conquered and left them there and made them stay there. And the national identity then would be lost and there would be much less chance of any sort of revolt, rebellion. And that's exactly what happened. The northern tribes are still lost. There's no wonder on the one hand that Jonah was displeased. It says not only was he displeased, but he had become very angry. Now the word in the Hebrew here for angry in verse 1 means to burn. Literally. We've all said it. That just burns me up. That's the idea. Jonah was burned up in anger. That God would have grace on these people? 
You might say he was prejudiced in modern language. You know, we all have some prejudices, whether we want to admit it or not. As a young man, I grew up in a little town of about 400 people. In the hills of West Virginia, about 30 miles from the Ohio border, Ohio River, about twice a year, a group of bikers from Ohio crossed the river and came over and wound their way through our town on their Harleys. Big, burly, leather-clad, chains, tattoos, the whole thing. That was a sight in those days. They were called the Pagans, if I remember right. They were a noted motorcycle gang. And when we heard the noise and kind of go inside and look out the window, you know. Now, they, they never stopped in our little town. There wasn't anything there they didn't want in that little place. And I don't know. They, maybe their reputation wasn't correct, but we, I mean, we, we just kept our distance. I mean, fortunately, they just went on right on through. So that was, that was my concept of a motorcycle gang. So always kind of looked at those guys a little funny. Years later, my wife and I were, went into a restaurant down at 4240 area, had several restaurants there, and there was a new one there we wanted to try. We went in and we went and we didn't see anybody else in the restaurant. Uh, it was probably an odd time. I don't know. So the waiter said, once you come back in this section, it'll be a little easier, you know, in a smaller section back here. So he seated us back there kind of near the bar and, we sat down, there's only two other people in there. Two big, burly bikers. Leather, chains, the whole deal. And they ordered sushi. <laughs> kind of blew my mind. I, I thought these guys eat, you know, just steak and potatoes, you know, but... But I kind of kept my eye out. I mean, you know, when they're all alone, these two big guys, but, oh, just, I was just a little uncomfortable, a little prejudiced. And they got their food before us, and I still kind of keep my eye on them, you know. And about that time, the big guy, he bows his head and starts praying over his food out loud. I could have fell off of the chair. You see, we have our prejudices on a human level, but God doesn't. God loves everybody. God cares about everybody. And God's grace is available to everybody in this world. Well, yeah, God, God eventually, eventually will punish sin if we don't avail ourselves of His grace. But Jesus died for the world, the whole world. But Jonah couldn't bring himself to want to see anybody from Assyria repent. So he was unhappy. He didn't get his way. He was like a little child when, when daddy says, no, you can't have another cookie, and he pitches a fit. Why did he get, why does a little child get angry? He doesn't get his way. This is what Jonah's going through. This, this is what we do. If we don't go our way, if it don't suit us, if we're not happy about it, then we get angry about it. So the reasons, the reasons for unjustified anger is simply our own selfishness, our own self-will. 
Our own self-centeredness. That's all. We don't get what we want. But once we've acknowledged the reasons, there's a second step we need to move on to. It's good to understand why we're where we're at, but we have to go on to consider the results of unjustified anger. Unjustified anger will literally burn us up, so to speak. It will do us more harm than anyone else. So consider the state of mind that Jonah was in. Verse 2 seems like a real spiritual thing to do. The next thing Jonah did is he prayed. But you've got to understand the state of mind that brought about this prayer. First of all, it says that he prayed. Now, that's a Hebrew verb that is an intensive verb. If I can use that word, and I think that's probably even the right grammatical term. It means, this wasn't just, well, Lord, let's have a little struggle with these Ninevites repenting, you know. No. It was, Lord, I can't believe this type of prayer. In fact, he goes on and says, ah, Lord. He prayed to the Lord and said, ah, Lord. That's how he said it. The, the word ah here is a Hebrew interjection, a strong reaction. So what we see here, even though he prayed, is a a high level of frustration with God. Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? (laughs) Therefore, he says, I fled previously. This is his prayer. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. And, you know, you had to bring me back here. For I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. (laughs) Jonah had his theology down pat. He couldn't control his own emotions. He knew God was a loving God. He knew God was a kind God. He knew God was a gracious God. He didn't want God to be that way toward the Assyrians. And he's complaining to God. He's complaining about what God has done. Now, in spite of how really bad this seems, we've got to give Jonah this much credit. He at least was honest with God. And you see, for many of us who were taught from the time we were this high, don't question God not appropriate to be angry with God. When we feel those things, we just say, what's wrong? No, nothing. We just keep it inside. We wrestle with it on our own. We don't even make it a matter of prayer. And I've learned over the years that when I'm frustrated and when I'm angry, I, I, I think it's appropriate to say, Lord, right now I'm feeling a little anger toward you. You know what? He already knew that. 
So keeping your mouth shut doesn't keep it from God. So you might as well just be honest with him about it. And, and usually when you verbalize that, you, when you have to put it into words, it, it really kind of hits you for what it is. Inappropriate. Sinful. And when you begin to express how you feel to God, if, if you've got any spiritual, uh, spirituality in you, the next thing you're going to be doing is saying, God, forgive me. Now, Jonah didn't get to that step right here immediately. We should, but he didn't right at first. He needed a little education. God was ready to provide it for him. But Jonah had a high level of frustration. That was his state of mind. And then he, then that led to a state of depression. Look at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah just descended into self-pity because he didn't get his way. Now, something tells me that if God would have said, okay, Jonah, if that's what you want, Jonah would have probably changed his tune. Something kind of tells me that you know, he's just pouting. He's kind of like, you know, when you ever have a, Argument with your husband or wife or, you know, and you kind of, you know there's a big problem and, and, and maybe you're not even sure what you did to cause it and what your part was. You say, what's wrong to the other person? And you know what they say? Nothing. Nothing's wrong. Well, obviously something's wrong. No, 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 nothing's wrong. I, I just, I just want to feel sorry for myself. I, I just want, I just want to be out of sorts. I just, I just want to be away from you. And you just get discouraged, you get depressed, you get down. That's where, where this goes. When we don't get our selfish ways, that can happen to us really easily. Then what we do is we withdraw from people. That's the next step. Verse 4 says, then the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Now, he, he, didn't, he didn't act inconsistently with his feelings. It, it seems weird when you read that. Just goes out and gets up on the hill and makes him a little makeshift lean-to, and he sits there watching. What's he watching for? They've already repented. God's not going to destroy the city. But think about it. He couldn't exactly go home. He'd go back home and they say, where you been, General? Oh, we were preaching in Nineveh. What happened? Oh, 120,000 people repented. They did. Where's the stones? <laughs> because we don't like those Ninevites. You know, what'd you go do that for, Jonah? He wouldn't exactly have been welcomed home as a hero. Where's he going to go? You say, well, maybe they wouldn't know. Well, they would eventually know. So he's just sitting up there, still angry, still pouting, still discouraged and down, and just hoping, just hoping maybe, maybe their repentance wasn't real. Maybe it was just an act to keep God from raining down fire on them. And maybe God would see through it, and maybe God would see that Jonah was right all along, and maybe God would destroy the city after all. It's bad enough to be selfish. It's even worse to put yourself above God. (laughs) 
That's kind of what he's doing here. He was just pouting. Not communicating, not cooperating, not doing anything. He was just sitting there. Not, not saying, Lord, what do you, you know, you would think, great revival, one of the greatest in history. Lord, what do you want me to do next? I'm really charged up now. No, Jonah says, oh, I ain't doing nothing. I didn't get things to go my way. He didn't, he didn't say, where, where do you want me to go next? He says, no, I'm just going to go up here and see if you can finally get your act together, God. So there's where he sits. Frustrated, depressed, withdrawn, inactive. There's great, great numbers of Christians who over the years have made the same choice and they're sitting on their little hut or little lean-to up on the mountain somewhere watching what you and I are doing. Forsaken their obligations and their worship. And they got a really good excuse. God messed it all up. And they don't see the results. They haven't contemplated the reasons. But these two steps are a necessary education. But the greatest education is step number three. Now, the third step that Jonah needed was simply to seek resolution. Seek resolution of these feelings, these <clears throat> this turmoil, this frustration, this anger that's within him. To get rid of it, to resolve it, to leave it behind. Because whenever you get angry in an unjustified manner, usually when you get angry, it'll eat at you on the inside. Again, you will be the one that suffers the most. So Jonah needs to seek resolution, but he's not in the mind of a mind to do that. He needs a little further education. And that's why in verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, Jonah didn't answer the question. Because down deep in, in, in his soul of souls, he knows he's not justified. But Jonah just goes out, goes up on, on a mountain somewhere on the east side of the city, makes him a little shelter, and he just sits down there and pouts, verse 5. So God said, well, here's a little education for you, Jonah. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade him. For his, uh, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from the misery. Now, this is modern day Iraq. If you remember when our troops were over there, the reports about how we had about how hot it was. It can get up to 115, 120 degrees certain times of the year. So for this, suddenly this plant, this, to just spring up and to shade his, him and his little shelter, that was pretty welcome. I expect you and I had still been complaining because we're used to air, air conditioning, but <laughs> it was some relief for him. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. This is what they call a Scirocco wind. Over that 
area of the world, and it's a very superheated wind. Then adds another 15 or 20 degrees to the temperature. So not only is the plant gone, but God just turns up the heat. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He begins to dehydrate, suffer physically, and uh, he's in a bad way, in a bad spot. And he doesn't really know what to do, I'm sure. But then he, he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. He's just completely at the end of his rope. Now, with all that said and done, God speaks to Jonah. But let's just stop for a moment and remember, back in chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible said, when Jonah fled in that boat, that God prepared a fish. Actually, God prepared a sea creature in the Hebrew. God gave him a one-way ticket back, didn't he? Well, in verse 6 of chapter 4, God prepared a plan. In verse 7, God prepared a worm. In verse 8, God prepared a vehement east wind. <laughs> God has a way of being ahead of the curve, doesn't he? God's never unprepared. He's always prepared. And everything that happens to you and me is God's effort out of love to retrieve us and to correct us. And Jonah doesn't see it yet. He just pouts all the more. Now, Jonah's state of mind is because he chose it, because he was disobedient. Now, a lot of times there's reasons for us to get discouraged, and there's physical reasons sometimes why people get depressed. That's understandable. It's not, not something they did. But there is another side of depression, and that's the depression that some of us bring on ourselves because, well, we're acting like Jonah. We're disobedient, and we're pouting, and all the rest. Jonah's problem was easily solvable. Not all depressions are, but this one was. It was his own fault. And God has given him a lesson now, an object lesson. Something he could see, something he could feel. He still doesn't get it. So God speaks in verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Isn't that what God said to him back in verse 4? Yeah, the same thing. See, God's trying to inculcate into his, he's trying to pound it into his thick skull that his thinking is wrong. By asking him a question the second time, is it angry? Or is it right for you to be angry about the plan, he says. And he said, this is what Jonah's answer, it is right for me to be angry, even unto death. Say what you will about Jonah. <laughs> he was a stubborn old guy, wasn't he? You think a prophet? You think a man who had been used of God to preach repentance for all these people, someone who had seen the miracle of being swallowed by the fish and being there? You think, man, that guy's dense. Well, probably no more dense than you and I have been sometime in our life to what God's doing. So he said, yeah, I'm right. God had a little more education. But the Lord said, verse 10, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. 
Well, yeah, he did. Well, who made that plant, by the way, just for our sake? God. Who prepared the plant? God. Who created the Ninevites? God. Verse 11, God continues, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between the right hand and the left and much livestock? Jonah, these are not your creation, they're mine. No more, you, you had pity on the plant. You didn't, you didn't create the plant. You didn't plant a seed. You didn't cultivate it. I gave it to you. And you appreciated it as long as it lived. And you mourned its departure. But you can't have an ounce of grace toward the people I've created that lived in the city of Nineveh. And by the way, a kind of a sarcastic note, God adds in much livestock or many animals, it says in some texts, some translations, I should say. Jonah, you had, you had pity on a plant? If nothing else, if you can't, if you hate the Ninevites that much, just think of the animals in that city. Aren't they a little bit of more value than a plant? See, see, God got his attention. You say, well, how do you know? Where do you see that? Because that's the end of the book. When, when the book of Jonah ends, Jonah is no better off than he was when it started in a lot of ways. But yet, here, I think we can find the steps to resolution of unjustified anger, if we think about it. Now, step number one is to admit it. And Jonah did well at that back in verse 2. <laughs> he, he thought he was right, but he did at least state the fact that uh, you know he was upset at God. And we made that point earlier that it's okay to tell God if you're angry. It's good to express yourself and be honest and not act like something doesn't exist on the one hand and let it eat you up on the inside on the other. So the first step to resolution is that, and Jonah had lived that far. Well, step two is to accept the circumstances that God has allowed into your life. Because it's the circumstances of your life that led to your anger that you had to express. So you've got to work backwards, so to speak. Once you admit you're angry, then you've got to come to grips with the circumstances you are in and what you've had to put up with that has angered you. And come to a realization that God allowed that. God's all-powerful. God is sovereign. God could, God could give us a perfect life, couldn't he? God could us to the point that we'd never get sick, we'd never have a problem, and everything goes right, and we get everything we want. That wouldn't do us one ounce of good spiritually. Now, once we are like Jesus, that'll be all the case in heaven. But it won't do us an ounce of good for God to do everything for us the way we want. We wouldn't grow and progress and become more Christ-like. Because that takes suffering and that takes trials, problems. So, express your anger. Number two, 
Accept your circumstances. That's what Jonah was not doing, that God is telling him and giving him this object lesson to teach him. Accept the circumstances and understand that I'm the God of the circumstances. And I have a purpose and a reason. And you're in no position to render judgment on me. Step number three, submit to God's will. Express your anger, accept your circumstances as being from God, and then submit to the will of God instead of trying to correct God or rebel against God. You say, well, where do you get that in this text? Didn't the book just end? Doesn't give any any details about Jonah submitting to the will of God, changing his mind. But let's think for a minute. Who wrote the book of Jonah? I mean, who would have known the details about being swallowed by the fish? The sailors threw him into the sea. There's no indication the sailors even knew he was swallowed by fish. He just sunk. Who knew he was in the fish three days and three nights except for Jonah? Who knew that he went to Nineveh but Jonah? Well, people might have come to know that a lot of people repented when some guy showed up and preached. Who would have known any of the details about the plant in the east wind if Jonah hadn't revealed it? Who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. That's always been understood in Christian circles. And even before Christ, that Jonah was the author, obviously the author. And when Jonah records what he records, he doesn't put himself in a very good light, does he? (laughs) but Jonah gets all the details in there and he gave it to us everything that happened and it's obvious that he eventually saw things a different saw things differently in a different way and he submits to the will of God and He records under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the message, the truth, the story for you and me. And Lord knows we need the message that he gave us through Jonah. And we need the message because we need to learn the same lesson that Jonah learned. And hopefully it won't be such a long, tough class. What's going to happen? Let's